Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. Some of you are sneaky in that you've already been spotting this out here. And uh, what is he going to do with that present? There's a real present up here. It's a real thing. By the way, it's not an empty box. And uh, most of you here have received gifts before, I'm going to guess. Birthday presents, Christmas presents, anniversary, retirement party, whatever it was, you've received something that looks similar to this. And when I was looking at the passage of Scripture for this week, it took me back to a a Christmas experience I had one year, and I got a gift from my in-laws. Now listen, when you get a gift from somebody who's good at giving gifts, there's excitement in getting the gift. There's anticipation in getting the gift. So I remember I was sitting on their, their living room floor. I had a box that looked a lot like this. And, and I'm waiting like, kids, would you hurry up and open your toys? Like, I want to get to my gift here. And one year they gave me a weed whacker. That's useful. I liked that gift, actually. Some of you are like, weed whacker? Oh. Sometimes they give me fun stuff. And I grabbed the box. And I don't know how you open presents. Do we have any people here that are like, save the paper people? Save the paper people? We've got a couple. Richard, really? I didn't have guessed. At any rate. All right. I'm not a save the paper people. But I grab the present. I don't want to be like animal here, but I'm like, get this thing out of here. My mother-in-law saves those. I'm pulling it open. It's a gift from my mother-in-law, father-in-law. You ever get a gift and you see what's there, but you still don't know what it is? Isn't that kind of like the moment of truth? Like that tests your relationship with the person who gave you the gift, right? Like, am I going to fake it? Maybe you say something like this that's true, but it's not the way you meant it. Oh, you shouldn't have. Like you say it with a tone like you're sincere, but really you're thinking, no, really, you shouldn't have. You shouldn't have got me that. Or, or you can say, what is this? I felt like they weren't going to kick me out of the family when I got this gift. And so I said, what is this? I could see what the box said. It says auto spa here on it. And uh, I'm not really a car guy or anything like that. And I pull this baby out and it's this. This, in case you're wondering, is a car buffer. You polish your paint with this. But I said, what is this? In other words, like, why did you give this to me? And then what they said is what blew me away. They said it's for back rubs. (laughs) It has a plug on it. Are you serious? Now listen, listen, listen. They, (laughs) they're not rednecks. Anyway, they, 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 they actually expect, like when I, I looked at this and I thought, if I got a back rub with this, I'm going to get injured. If I get a back rub, it's because I'm injured, not because I want to be injured. And so I got this gift, and I'll tell you at the end of the message what I did with it. <laughs> but when I got the gift, I asked myself three questions. The three questions a lot of times we ask just subconsciously when we receive a gift. What is it? What's it intended for? And how should I use it? Because I'm going to tell you, if I read the manual on this gift, how my mother and father-in-law said I should use this gift is not what the manual said. And today, this is relevant because we're talking about spiritual gifts. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that's going to talk to us about spiritual gifts. Now, let me tell you what a spiritual gift is not. A spiritual gift is not a natural ability that you have. You're good at noticing art, and so you've got a good eye, or you've got a good ear, or, or maybe you, got a, you just are a merciful person, and, and you're good at math, and Jesus sprinkles a little Jesus juice on it, and all of a sudden it's a spiritual gift. No, that's not a spiritual gift. We're going to answer the question when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, what is a spiritual gift? We're going to talk about what they're intended for, but it's on you to answer the question, how should I use my gift. Every one of us that's a follower of Jesus has at least one. 
And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm going to tell you how you can become one at the end of the service. We're glad to have you here. You can listen into today's message. It's really more of a family talk. And we're going to talk to each other that are believers in Jesus Christ about these gifts that we receive. What are they? What are they intended for? And how should I use them? So I want you to be asking yourself the question, if you're a follower of Jesus, how should I be using my gift as we walk through this passage of Scripture? If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we've been going through this book about this letter that was written like 2,000 years ago to this place in Corinth, and we're calling it Letters to RDU. And the reason why we're doing that is because there's so many parallels between what's happening in Corinth and what's happening here in RDU. They had the same false gods they were tempted to bow their knee to, success, sex, sports, and therefore they had a lot of the same temptations we have. They had the same problems in the church that many of our churches experience, and it's almost like when we've walked through this book, there's been a word from God for us in every line of this book. Today's message is so important because, get this, if we don't apply this passage right, we'll never be the church God intended for us to be. If we don't get this passage of Scripture right, we'll never live the lives God intended for us to live as followers of Jesus. And so let's look at what it says. Remember the immediate context here is last week we started talking about this theme of worship, and we were talking about communion. Specifically when we come together, what is it that's happening when we're at the Lord's table, the Eucharist, communion, different names used for it throughout history? And we talked about how communion is a celebration of unity. We're declaring his death. We're examining ourselves. But you can't have communion if you don't have union. First with God, then with each other. And we talked a lot about unity amongst diversity. That at the, Lord, at the table, because of at the cross, people can be very diverse. Different racial backgrounds, different bank accounts, different cultures, different thoughts and perspectives and views on life. But at the cross, we are one. Amen? Paul continues on the theme of worship in chapter 12. But now he's talking about worship through service, as he talks about spiritual gifts. Look at it, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll just read the first three verses, eventually we'll go all the way through the chapter today. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts, and I love that he says brothers here, because he's just been rebuking them a lot in the last chapter on the Lord's Supper, and here he reminds them, but we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, you are part of the family. I do not want you to be uninformed, in verse 2. You know, let me tell you what you do know. He said, I don't want you to be uninformed, but let me tell you what you know. You know, and you just know this from life experience without even being a Christian. You know that when you were pagans, before you were Christian, you were led astray to mute idols. They couldn't answer life's questions. You're going after these things, and they're not satisfying the the desires of your heart. However you were led, whichever pathway you went down, you know the answer was the same. Verse 3, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. And so, okay, verse 1, we see here that the topic is spiritual gifts. And then verse 3, we see here, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's the only one that empowers us to say, Jesus is Lord. Now, just before we even get much into this message, what is a spiritual gift? If you've been in church very long, you've probably heard spiritual gifts mentioned before. If not, maybe you're new to church, you want to study this a little bit more. There are four main passages in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts. We don't have time to go to all of them today, so I'll just mention them. You want to jot them down, that's fine. Romans chapter 12. Start reading a verse 3 to about the middle of the chapter, and you're going to see a list of gifts. It's going to talk about spiritual gifts there. It's a different list than the one I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Those are two of the passages. 1 Corinthians 12 really goes all the way through chapter 14, and we'll talk about specifically about tongues, one of the more controversial gifts when we get to chapter 14, but you're going to see different gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and then Ephesians 4. You start reading in verse 7 there, and also 1 Peter 4. So you got Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, and Ephesians 4 start reading around verse 7. 1 Peter 4, around verse 10. Peter's going to tell you all the gifts, they fit into two categories, speaking and serving. So just fit them all there. 
You read the other lists, and you're going to see 19 different gifts that are listed between those lists. Speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, healings, wisdom, gifts of knowledge, uh, miracles, mercy, administration, leadership, helps, like all kinds of different gifts that are listed, and yours might not be there because the fact that all those lists don't match up shows us they're not exhaustive lists. They're just examples. But what is it that's a gift? See, if you're a church person, all that stuff I just said, you probably already know that. If you're not a church person, you might be thinking to yourself, man, I remember when I was a kid, and my parents would give me a present, and maybe it would say, from Jesus on it. I got an Xbox from Jesus. I got some socks from Jesus. Is that a spiritual? You don't get socks from Jesus, by the way. The Bible says that God only gives every good and perfect gift comes from above, right? So he's not giving you socks, all right? But a spiritual gift is not just some gift that we go, that's from Jesus. Well, everything's from God, right? Everything. No, here's what a spiritual gift is. A spiritual gift is something you receive at, at some time after the point of salvation, because you can have, they can be dynamic, they can come for moments, but you're always going to have at least one. Everyone, we're going to see in this passage, has at least one gift if you're a follower of Jesus. It's a supernatural ability. It's not just your natural abilities on steroids. It's a supernatural ability that you're given to build up the church and glorify God. In fact, there's one uh, pastor, I, I took his definition, I just made it real, a lot more simple, um, and it, he just said, ability is given to believers with the purpose of building up God's church for God's glory. And that's going to all those spiritual gift passages and then putting together, what does it say? And here's a summary of it. But I would add, it's a supernatural ability. It's a supernatural ability that's given to followers of Jesus, sometimes in a moment, gifts of healing, miracles we're gonna read about, that's like casting out demons, Teaching, an ability to see the scripture, wisdom, an understanding of where, where, the things are, where things are pointed. You're able to decipher the facts and the knowledge. Like that's supernatural. Supernatural ability that's meant for the building up of the church as a whole and the glory of God's name. And we're going to see that when we get down to verse 7. But the, the first thing we see here is these gifts and, and, and how we use them. is supposed to declare that Jesus is Lord. And so for our first point today, there's only two in this message. The first point today is this, that your use of your gifts reveals your relationship with the giver. Your use of your gifts reveals your relationship to the giver. And so you see in this passage in verse three that it says only by the Spirit that we can declare that Jesus is Lord. And I just want, here's really the question for that first point. All the way through, you can be asking yourself this. Does the way that I use my gifts declare Jesus Christ as Lord of my life? Whatever gifts you have, each one of us, we're going to see in verse 7, each one of us has at least one spiritual gift, your follower of Jesus. Does the way that you use those gifts declare the lordship of Jesus in your life? Which then you've got to ask yourself the question, what's that? What is lordship? And then even when I read this passage, I thought, is this even true? Like, is that accurate? Because anybody can actually mouth the words, Jesus is Lord. An atheist can say the words, Jesus is Lord. In fact, we read a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 7 from Jesus where he says, he's talking about judgment day, he says, on that day, people are going to come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not? And then think about supernatural gifts. Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we prophesy? That's one of the gifts we're going to read in this chapter, in your name. And then do you know what verse 23 says? Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. And so then I'm, I'm, like, I'm reading this verse 3 here, and I'm going, well, Paul, anybody can just say the words. Gee, what are you talking about here? What he's talking about is like when you call upon Jesus for salvation. What he's talking about is what we see when people are surrendered to the lordship of Jesus, calling upon Jesus from the heart. That's a movement of the whole. You can't muster that up in your life. God has to move in your heart for you to call upon Jesus as Lord, and it's part of salvation. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you've done it at least once, 
In Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, it says this. It says that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. Lord means he's ruler. He's master. You're stepping out of the way, he's on the throne of your life. You're not trusting anymore on, on what you've done in your life for salvation. It's what Jesus did at the cross for your salvation. It's I'm giving you control. It, it's a lot of times we want to go to God and we want to give God a contract. Like, here's what I got planned for my life. Would you approve it? Sign that. Please, Jesus, you got that? That's kind of how our prayer life, we don't say that. That's like how we pray, right? Lordship is we go to Jesus with a blank document that we've signed and say, here you go. You fill it in. So if we confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that's the gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, then you will be, and there's a church word, saved. What does it mean to be saved? Saved from what? You're rescued. You're pulled out of your sin. You're saved, rescued from God's wrath. You're being pulled out from yourself, from Satan. From the, you're headed on a path of destruction. What it was talking about in verse 2, we're following these dumb idols, mute idols. We're going after stuff in our lives that is never going to answer the, the soul questions that we have in our lives. You're being rescued from that. You're being saved, and it's a promise. And I told you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'll tell you how you can do that at the end of the service. That's how. We'll come back to it at the end of the service. But to call upon Jesus as Lord, we see that word Lord in the New Testament, if it's important, 700 times. We only see the word Savior about 10 times. He is Lord, meaning we surrender control to him. And you see it in characters in the Bible, right? I love that we, I didn't know we were going to look at that Isaiah 6 passage in worship today. If you came in at the beginning of the service, about 75% of you are like, what are you talking about? Yeah, that's right. I'm messing with you. But at the beginning of the service, Pastor Seth, when he was calling us to worship, was reading Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, what happens is the very thing we desire to happen every time people come to worship at our church, one of our core values, encountering the living God. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees God accurately, he responds appropriately. That's our definition of an encounter with God. You see who, you see who he is, and I, I hope that happens for all of you today in some way. Even if he speaks to your heart in some I'm not saying. You see who he is accurately, and then we respond appropriately. And Isaiah does that. When he happens to him is he becomes overwhelmed with the sin. He says, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Then God, we see the characteristic of his graciousness. He touches his lips with coals. He cleanses him of his sins. Your sins have been atoned for. But then we see his response. In Isaiah 6, 8, we didn't read this verse. He says, here I am, send me. Do you know what that is? That's blank. Here you go, God, whatever you want. I'll do whatever you want, whenever you want me to do it, however you want me to do it. That's lordship. Or some of you maybe don't go to church very often, but you might come at Christmas time. Have you heard the Christmas story about the young girl in Matthew chapter 2? Her name's Mary. And Mary is just going about her day, doing her normal stuff. And an angel appears to her and says, you've been impregnated by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> For real? Like, that's the Christmas story. So we're familiar with that. Can you imagine that news? That'd be like me being told I was impregnated by the Holy Spirit, okay? That's wild stuff. And do you know what she says? She could be killed for this. No matter what. No matter, even if she's not killed, her life has changed forever because of this. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. You see, lordship is this. It's a surrendered heart that results in an obedient life. Because when your heart is surrendered to God, you see it in your actions. It's a surrendered heart that results in an obedient life. This week, Pastor Seth was sharing with me as we were talking about being called to worship and, and talking about this being uh, the Sunday of Pentecost and he shared with me this missionary story I'd never heard before about these two missionaries in Denmark in the 1700s that had heard about this British atheist that had 3,000 slaves on an island off the West Indies. 
and he wouldn't let them hear the gospel. He didn't want them to hear about Jesus coming and taking God's wrath for their sin and giving them a relationship with Jesus. And so these guys were burdened for this, but no missionaries were allowed to go there. And so what these guys decided, young men lived in Denmark, they decided, they didn't even see this, okay? Like that was one of the things, they heard about this. That got me, because I'm like, I need to see it. I need to experience it. And then my heart breaks. If I just like hear facts, that doesn't do anything. They just heard about this, and they decided, we're going to move there. Now think about that. Like we get, you know, some of us will go, I'm going to go to Panama for two weeks this summer. I'm going to go to Madagascar. I'm going to Europe. I'm going to these different places to share the gospel. But I'm coming back to North Raleigh. Got some AC, you know, nice people, you know, bad daddies, whatever, different kind of burger places. We can got Publix fighting with Harris Teeter, good prices on groceries. I'm coming back here. These guys weren't going on a short trip. They heard about slaves that were living and dying without Christ. And so they decided they were going to go and sell themselves as slaves and live with them so they could share Christ. And their family and their church and their friends thought they were nuts. And they met resistance. But when they went to get on the boat, listen to this, when they went to get on the boat, their friends and family and people were there, they locked arms with each other as the boat was sailing away, and one of them raised his arms up and said, all praise be to the lamb who was slain. May he receive the reward for his suffering. Like, I'd be like, pray for me! <laughs> Peace. <laughs> they realized it was all about Jesus. That's Jesus as Lord. When Jesus is Lord, an, a surrendered heart results in an obedient life. Wherever, whenever, however, anything, anytime, anywhere, I'm yours. Do your gifts, do how you use your gifts reveal that? Does that do they declare Jesus as Lord? Because they can declare a lot of things. Here in verse 3, it says, by the Holy Spirit, when we cry out that Jesus is Lord. I jotted down a few other things that our lives could declare about our relationship with God. Because remember, our point is this. How you use your gifts reveals your relationship with the giver. Some of us, practically speaking, are atheists. Just a practical atheist, not an atheist like we would declare we're atheists. And so what we're declaring by the way we use our gifts, and really it's that we don't use our gifts, is that God is not real. Now, we might say, so strip away. Just think about, if I could strip away all the verses that I know, all the things that I say, and someone just examined my life and looked at my gifts, what conclusion would they come to? You think about an atheist. I'm, I talked to somebody this week that used to be an atheist. They've come to know Christ since then. But we were talking about, what was it like then? And what were some of the arguments you made? And the, the person was very honest with me, intellectually honest. They said, I didn't really, wasn't really intellectually an atheist. They said, I just couldn't rationalize my life with there being a supreme God out there that I'm accountable to. And so I said I was an atheist so I wouldn't have to deal with that. Then I thought to myself, well, what we do as Christians a lot of times is like the flip-flop of that. We say there's a God out there, but then you hear us say things like this. I'd never worship a God who, and we don't like something he did in the Bible, or we don't like something that's happening in this world. And so we rewrite God, we create God. Guess how we create him? In our own image. And so you hear people say things like this. My God is a God who... Looks a lot like you. It's like what you want to say back to him. I said, but if you go to the God of the Bible, if you're following the God of the Bible, how much of your life reveals that? And if the, if the answer is, hey, I can affirm this sermon, and I want to hear about my spiritual gifts, and I want to know which ones are mine. And it's all this like narcissistic stuff, by the way. Um, but you don't do anything with it. You're declaring God's not real. Others of us, we declare that God's not relevant. We might think that he's real, and we might even hear this sermon and be like, ah, you know, I should do this more. But 
But the way that we actually function, we say that God's not relevant in this. You ever given a gift that you didn't really want? I read a statistic this week that in Christmas of 2018, 56% of Americans received an unwanted gift. That was 142 million people that were surveyed. That's $13 billion that was wasted on gifts, according to the study. 13, not million, billion dollars wasted on unwanted gifts. So then you've got to ask, what do they do with them? And that's why I have this sheet. Listen to this. 29% keep them. 22% give them to someone else. Which when I heard that, I thought, what says I hate you? More then someone gave me a gift I don't want, and so I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> anyway, 22% did that. 29% keep them. 22% exchange them. Hey, do you have a, you shouldn't have. Do you have the receipt? <laughs> 10% sell the gift. 8% give the gift back. 6% throw the gift away. That's what you do with an unwanted gift, which I thought, wow, that's crazy. And then I thought, hey, I actually know the statistics of how people use their spiritual gifts in churches. It's not a lot different. See, some of us, our problem is we, got, we might have a gift, and it's like, I want, that, I want that person's gift. I don't want that unwanted gift. You become apathetic to that gift. You know what Jesus says to people that are apathetic? I'd rather you were cold. I'd rather you ran away from me. I wish you were hot or cold, Revelation chapter 3. You're lukewarm. It makes me want to spit you out of my mouth. It's making me sick. And so what a lot of people do as a result of that is they just kind of sit on the sideline. Let me tell you something. Jesus didn't call anyone to be his fan. So some people, they come to church, he is risen. He's risen indeed. Jesus is good. Amen. He's good. God is good all the time. Hallelujah. But then you, your life, you leave this place, and it's like nothing. Jesus didn't call fans. He called followers. Why don't you come after me? So that means you've got to get in the game. I love this quote by Theodore Roosevelt. Maybe you've heard it before. It says, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how, strong, how the strong man stumbles, or the doer of deeds could have done better. Think about all the sports analysis we see in the world. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again. I think of Peter in the Bible. Because there is no effort without error. Don't miss that. You will fail. And shortcomings. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? who knows great enthusiasms, great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, is there one greater than the gospel? Who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. That's what happens to those who sit in the bleachers the whole time. See, Christianity is a participation sport. And we're all invited because we've each been given a gift. And if we leave it on the shelf, we're communicating. God, at the at best case scenario, is not relevant. Worst case scenario, he's not real to you. But some of us, we don't do it because we're afraid. And we think that God, he's like a, a demanding dictator. That he's up there looking to zap you if you mess up, if you fail. In fact, Jesus tells a parable about people like this. It's in Matthew chapter 25. It's called the parable of the talents. And it's really hard to know exactly what a talent was worth, but a lot of Bible scholars have tried to figure it out. It was a large sum of money, and the estimate that I've seen is usually between $600,000 and $900,000. 
So as I, I share this parable with you, remember, let's just say it's $500,000. It's easier to do the math and it's really conservative, so pastors always overestimate numbers. We'll just go with 500000 okay? We'll break that stereotype. And so the first guy, there's this master, he's got three servants, and he gives talents to each one of them. The first guy gets five talents. That'd be $2.5 million. The second guy gets two talents. That'd be a million dollars. The third guy gets one talent. Oh, and by the way, the passage says each one is given the talents based on their abilities. So five to the one guy, two to the one guy, one to 500,000 to the last guy. The first two guys, they invest. You know what that means? They took risks. We call it faith. And they come back with a return. They've all doubled their money. Good investment. I don't, they don't live the notes of where you can find that one, but it's, it's there. And you know what the master says? Well done, good and faithful servant. You hear that a lot of times at funerals. Well done, good and faithful servant. And then think about what most people in the world are seeking after. Happiness, joy. Depends on which translation you read, but Matthew chapter 25 says, then come share in your master's joy. God's joy. Come share in your father's happiness. But then the third guy, he comes and he's buried his talent. He didn't get, it, he didn't get any return on it. And he comes back. But then what I love is in Matthew chapter 25, he tells us, and we talk about how, how we use our gift reveals our relationship to the giver. That's exactly what he says in Matthew chapter 25. Verse 24, he says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. Yeah, it's fear. A lot of us don't use our spiritual gifts because we're afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what's yours. And you can read the rest of that on your own, but you know what happens? It gets taken from him, given to the guy who had doubled the money. And then do you know what it says? It says that he was thrown out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know the takeaway there? He was an atheist. How we use our gifts reveals our relationship. There's eternal consequences to what we're talking about here. But some of us get it. Some of us realize that, that God's a generous giver, that he gives graciously and generously to us, that he only gives good gifts. I mentioned already the passage from James, every good and perfect gift comes from above. That he gives us graciously. He gave us his son. The answer to every promise in the New Testament is yes, through Christ Jesus. He gave his one and only son for you. You don't think he knows how to give you good gifts? You're questioning his ability and which ones he gave you and you want somebody else's? You're fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139. He knew you before you were in you. We can debate about when is conception? Before the womb. He knew you before you were in your mother's womb. He's woman you together. He's the perfect father. You know what next week's Father's Day, Matthew chapter 7 says, you as earthly fathers, you know how to give good gifts to your kids? Think about when you've been to have joy, fathers, of pouring out generosity on your kids. He says, your heavenly father, he knows better how to give you gifts. When we get this, we can use our gifts in generous ways, in ways that show that Jesus is Lord and he gave his life for us, for the building up of the body and the glory of the church. So how do you use your gift? I think one of the reasons he gives it, it reveals our relationship with him. We just only hit three verses. We've got to get moving. Come on, people. The second point is this. You've been blessed to be a blessing. Why are you given these gifts? What is it intended for? Remember, there's three questions. You've got to answer the third one. What is a spiritual gift, supernatural ability that's given to you for the building up of the church and the glorification of our Father? But then, why? Because you've been blessed to be a blessing. Look at verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And you're going to see the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father in these verses. The point of the verse is all the same. Unity and diversity. And it comes because of the source. We've got one source. Now there are varieties of gifts, lots of gifts out there. The same Spirit empowers them all. And there are varieties of service, the same Lord, talking about Jesus. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God, the Father, who empowers them all and everyone. In verse 7, some of you, the way you like to study in college, you wanted the cliff notes, right? 
You don't want to read all of chapter 12? Just read verse 7. Verse 7 is a summary. It's the point. It's the big idea of the whole chapter. Here it is. To each one, that's how everyone has a gift, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. We'll come back to that in just a minute. For, we need to hear this, we're so narcissistic as a culture, we invented the selfie. So we talk about gifts. You're going to think, tell me what I'm getting. Tell me what I'm getting. Listen to this. For the common good. Do you know what that means? You ever been given a gift that was to you but wasn't for you? I'm going to give this to you, but it's to be a blessing to someone else. That's what a spiritual gift is. It's given to you, it's not for you. It's like, I think about this present up here. And I'm wrapped presents at my house. My wife, she's, she's got hospitality gifts. And, and one of the things that she'll do, she'll always have these little tags that we put on the present. says to, you know, from so-and-so to so-and-so. And if I didn't have those, I would just write. Like, I like write, I like Dave on the box. They're like, here it is, like Sharpie on the thing. Here it is, newspaper, whatever it was. Hand you your present. What's inside is what counts. You ever seen those tags? The spiritual gift is kind of like this. We've got this tag here. From God to you. Problem is, we need a third category. It's for others. So you've been given a gift that's to you. It's not for you. You've been blessed to be a blessing to other people. How are we blessed? Well, look at verses 8 through 11. Verses 8 through 11, we see some of the gifts. Remember, this is an exhaustive. If your gift isn't in here, read Romans chapter 12. If your gift isn't in there, read Ephesians chapter 4. If your gift isn't in there, read 1 Peter chapter 4. If it's not in there, go and read the whole Bible. And if it's not in there, God can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. Verse 8, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. Some people wisdom, some people, some people it's knowing things, some people it's knowing how those things work. Wisdom, different than knowledge. According to the same spirit, to another faith. Now listen, every follower of Jesus has been given the gift of faith. You're saved by grace through faith, not your works, or else we'd be able to boast. So what he's talking about here is a supernatural gift, an ability to trust God, sometimes in, in difficult circumstances. Sometimes it's gifted to you in a moment. You can be anointed for a task. Sometimes you're just one of those people that know, you trust God in a deep way, oftentimes revealed in prayer and taking steps of faith. And the same spirit, to another gifts of healing, by one spirit to another, working of miracles. Here, probably talking about casting out demons. To another, prophecy. That's not just predicting the future. It does mean that, but the vast majority of times it's used in the Bible, it's just talking about speaking on behalf of God to people. To another, the ability to distinguish between the spirits that some of you knowing, hey, is this coming from the spirit or is this something else? Like, is that guy up on the stage, is those his words or is this God speaking? To another, various kinds of tongues, and we'll talk more about that in chapter 14, but it's, it, tongues is a, it's being able to speak a language you don't know how to speak. And that can be a heavenly language that, that nobody knows but needs an interpretation. It can be like in Acts chapter 2, people speak in other language, like German or French or Spanish, you're able to, but you didn't know them, you're praising God in those things. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered one, by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. But remember, what we just read in verse 7 is for the common good of everyone. And what is it? Back up a little bit. The manifestation of the Spirit. What happens is, when we come to church with the idea of using our gifts for the betterment of the body, the Spirit of God is made manifest. So we can sing, you're welcome in this place. You see that we want to see it. But the way we see it is that God's given you gifts to then use to bless other people. But here's the reality. Most people come to church looking for what they can get. Whether it's sitting in this room, whether it's your little kids, like we, we're just all, we're all that way. So I'm not like condemning you. I'm just talking about how we work. Like come, I want a word. I want a word from God. So I'm going to come. What if during the week, as you read your own Bible, you thought, God, do you have a word for me to share? 
and you came to church looking for that person who needs to hear that word, word of knowledge that you might have, or maybe you have the gift of wisdom, I promise you there are people in this room right now, some of them may be sitting within six feet of you, that are trying to make decisions in their life, and they know all the facts. They need somebody who's got a gift of wisdom. And you might hear the facts and you think to yourself, well, it's obvious what to do. That's because you have the gift of wisdom. We don't all have that gift. We need you to share that gift. And different people in here, gifts of faith and helping people trust God. Because here's the reality with gifts, they have a ripple effect too. You come to church and you show mercy to someone, guess what happens? That person that received that mercy, they start looking at, how can I share mercy? Some of you have a gift of generosity, and you come to church, and of course you're, you tithe. Of course you tithe to your church. You've got the box in the back, and you're dropped in. What if instead of just like doing your, your obligatory, but you started looking like, who in this church needs me to give them money? Who in this church needs me to buy them lunch? Who the, and if we started doing that for the common good of each other, what verse 7, that's why I waited to explain verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit, that's how God makes himself known. That word manifest is you're to be made aware of. Some of you, you know, there's a show that went through their first season recently called Manifest. Anybody here see that show? It's okay, Christians. We know you watch TV, all right? Watch this show? Anybody watch that show? All right. Some of you watch that show. I don't know for sure. Maybe somebody can enlighten me afterwards. I think it's a play on words because airplanes have a manifest document that says all the things and people that were on the plane. And then also, what happened in the show is there was a plane that disappeared five years earlier. And I think it's a play on that Malaysian flight that disappeared. Do you all remember that? And in the show, it was flight 828. Romans 8, 28, they keep going to in the show, just so you know. If you don't know that verse, go ahead and look it up. And what happens is there was this flight that disappeared five years ago, and all of a sudden it reappears. Can you imagine how that messed some people up? You were gone for five years, and all of a sudden, we thought you died. And now you're here, and that shake the world. Like that Malaysian fight all of a sudden shows up. And then I was thinking about what happens in this passage. He's talking about it's when we use our gifts for the building up of the body that the Holy Spirit is manifested in our midst, and then what's going to happen, I'm going to read you some verses here in a little bit, in verses 12 through 31, and Paul uses an analogy of a body. And so I started thinking about knowing the state of the church. Many of you have heard this stat before, the 80-20 rule in churches. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. You heard that before? That's not true, just so you know. The real statistics in America is that the average church in America, 47% of people serve in some capacity using their gifts in some way in the church. 47%. We became aware of that several years back as a church. And so as a church staff, we thought, well, I wonder if our church, what our church is like. We did a survey. We started writing down all the names, people that do photocopies during the week, get things ready for lessons, praying for folks, elders, you know, small group leaders, everybody through the church. And 51% of our body was serving in some capacity. We were like, yeah, we're not mediocre. We're like just above it. It's like, here's mediocre, and here's us. <laughs> and so we decided we were going to have, as a whole, no matter what your job was, our whole staff, we're, we're trying to move the needle. We're going to give us 12 months. We're going to go from 51% to 61%. And we did it. We're like, now we're like a little bit better than mediocre, but not awesome. Because think of this. If we use this body analogy here that Paul's about to go to, imagine you were at the doctor's office, and the doctor came in, and he said, I got good news and I got bad news. First, just out of curiosity, which one do you want? Which one do you want? For? How many people here want the good news first? One, two, I'm a pastor, I see these hands. Three, there's three people in this room? Man, you're all so pessimistic. That's what I would have said too, but it's still, anyway. How many of you say bad news first? Some of y'all didn't raise your hand either time. I watch you, I'm watching you over there. <laughs> so most people say bad news first. Here's the bad news. Bad news is, 
39% of your body doesn't work at all. We're not saying that the other 61% is fully functioning, but 61% is doing something, okay? Now imagine that was your body. Imagine that was your body. You'd have to ask yourself, did I have a stroke? Like half of, it, half of my body is not even working? Certainly you'd think to yourself, like, I need a lot of medication, a lot of assistance. I'm dying. Like 41% is not working, or 39% is not working. Here's the good news. You're better than average. Everybody's in really bad shape. That's the state of the church, by the way. So verse 7 says that each one of us is given a gift. Now, we know everybody in church is not a follower of Jesus Christ, okay? And that's good. We want people that are investigating, searching for God to be here. Let's say that 25% of people that come to church aren't even believers, don't even claim to be followers of Jesus. That might be a high number, might be a low number, I don't know. But if 75% of the church in America began to do what this passage says, do you know what would happen? It'd be earth-shattering. I think more shocking than if the flight from Malaysia all of a sudden reappeared and manifested itself. Because we'd have a manifestation of the Spirit of God at work in America. Functioning the way the church is supposed to function. If you want to know what that looks like, go back to Acts chapter 2. Oh, by the way, it's the birthday of the church. It's Pentecost Sunday, so let's talk about it for a second. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches, 3,000 people come to Christ. Then they get together continually around the, the Lord's teaching, and, and, and they're praying together, and they're sharing fellowship. Do you know what the passage says? They saw miracles, and nobody had a need. So Peter preaches this message, 3,000 people come to Christ. Let me tell you what didn't happen. Because verse 47 of Acts chapter 2 says that they were at, God was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. All the Christians weren't going, you want to know Jesus? You've got to come meet Peter. No, they were using their gifts. It was a manifestation of the Spirit. People were being drawn to that. They were being saved. Do you know what happens in Acts chapter 5? There's people that go, I don't want to join that. I don't want to be part of that. You know why? They're watching. They're coming around. It's part of the 25%. But there was persecution. And these people were living like Jesus was Lord. And they're going, if I go in, I got to go all in. I don't want that. That's good. I wish you were hot or cold. The problem they have in America, there's a whole lot of lukewarm. What if, what if we would do what this passage says? You want to see the Spirit move? Use your gifts. The manifestation of the Spirit. And then what happens next is really two big chunks of Scripture, but really just two points. John Piper preaches two whole sermons on this. I'm going to cover it in about 30 seconds. So if you want to look it up, you can go look it up. He talks about how the first section, what Paul's addressing, is people who think they're useless in the church. They don't like their gift. The second part are people who think they're self-sufficient. So there's some people that think they're not needed. There's some people think they don't need anyone else. Let's talk about the people that think they're not needed first. Verses 12 through 20. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. It doesn't matter if you're Jew, Greek, and you could list every nationality there. Slaves are free, your status, your societal status. And, we're, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If you don't think you're needed, listen to this. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. It's because you say something, it doesn't make it true. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? 
But as it is, God arranged, God planned this, as arranged all the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So here he gives this analogy. The foot wants to be a hand. We wouldn't have any feet. And some of you think, like, I'm not needed. You might think, you might have a gift that's, like, not as visible, it's not as seen. And so you start thinking, like, what's the, Jesus is the head. We read that elsewhere in the Bible. So what else, what are the options out there? What's the heart? What's the, heart? the heart's like the gospel, right? We talk about the gospel all the time. What are the lungs? The Holy Spirit? It's like the air that we, we need, the Holy Spirit. None of this happens without the Holy Spirit. So what's left? I, mean, I want to be a hand. Those are the people that are doing stuff all the time. And some of you sit there and think to yourself, I'm more like the appendix. Like, people don't even notice me unless there's a problem, and then they just want to get rid of me, and then they keep going without me. Let me tell you something. You're not an appendix. How do I know that? The appendix isn't listed here. If you were the appendix, it'd be mentioned here. You're not the appendix. You're needed. We're all needed. Some of you have gifts that are not as visible. I remember I was, when I was preaching this in the first service, I looked in the back row, and I saw John Cullen, our executive pastor, He'd never up here on stage. This church would not be what it is if it wasn't for his administrative gifts that he has. Some of you here are prayer warriors. There are people in this church that pray for this church beyond what any. Some of you get prayed for and you don't even know you're getting prayed for. I think one day we're going to get to heaven. They're going to be giving out rewards. You're going to be like, who's that guy up at the front of the line? I'm going to be standing next to you. I'm going to be like, he goes to our church. He's praying for you every day, man. Because they're going to, those are the people that I believe when, when the Spirit moves and somebody trusts Christ, like Lord willing, it happens at the end of this service, happens at the end of our service oftentimes. The seeds were planted in their prayer time. They're the people that when some of you, you, you encounter God in a new way, God teaches you something new, you're growing, that's, they're the fertilizer. Like they're the engine. I hope their number increases as our church continues to grow. Because we need those people. But you're never going to see them. We're not going to put their name up here. Hey, do you know this person? So-and-so prayed for eight hours this week for you. But, but they're needed. And the people that are in helps and all these different gifts that are mentioned, mercy and generosity, and we don't see that. It's all needed. And, and here's the deal. If you're blessed to be a blessing, you know, what, you know what happens when you don't use your gift? You're ripping the rest of us off. Because we're, we're supposed to benefit as the body. You've been blessed so you can be a blessing to others. You sit there with your insecurity and think, I'm, not, I'm an appendix. No, you're not. We're all needed. And some of us are arrogant, and we think our gift's the most important one. So look what it says next. Because the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. The head is not going anywhere. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And in those parts, he just kind of talks about the natural order, the way God had things work. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. But the members may have the same care for one another. Also, it ultimately comes back to the common good. I told you that was the big idea of verse 7. The common good, that we care for one another. If one member suffers, we all suffer together. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. And what he's saying here is this. If you're, you're some prominent part of the body like an eye, you can't say I don't need the rest of the body. If you did, you know what the church would look like? We got a picture right here. There it is. Minus the arms and the legs and the mouth. That's what it looked like. What's that guy's name? You've got to say it nasally. Come on. That's right. That's not supposed to be the church. Church is the body. Just because you think you don't need everybody else doesn't mean you don't need everybody else. I was thinking about that this week. Just, just because I get to work here, I get to see this. 
This week, just seeing people, there were people that were up here at the church putting furniture together. Now, how many of you, when you come to church, think to yourself, you know what, I'm glad somebody put this chair together, this table together. No, you just use it. We don't think about it, but we needed their gift. We used it this week. There are people that were up here, they were having a, a planning meeting for a lunch that we can all have out in the quad together, the courtyard together, whatever we ended up calling that thing, the middle part of our church out there. And when we sit down, do you know what gifts were represented in that meeting? Administration, hospitality, cares. We're not going to think to ourselves, oh, you know, I'm so glad somebody thought about the lines and how we can get through. No. But it's needed. And some of you in here, you've got gifts of, of mercy and gifts of administration and gifts of leadership. You might not lead the way that I lead. You might lead in a different context, in a different way. You might have a gift of teaching. You don't teach the same people. You don't teach in the same way. But they're unique. There's a variety of gifts. One spirit, one goal, manifestation of the spirit for the common good. We had people that were here to plan on how we can use our parking lot the best way, people that were dreaming about where we're headed next in the next 10 years of a church. All these gifts happening that we all benefit from, many we don't ever even see. Thank you for those of you that are using those gifts. For all of us, we've got to ask ourselves the question, how am I using my gifts? He says in the last part of this passage, basically there's a whole bunch of gifts and none of us have all the gifts. Nobody's omni-gifted. Look at now. You are, one, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God's appointed the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. We'll talk about that in chapter 14. Are all apostles? The implied answer is no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? Are all mir- all, do all do miracles? Nope. Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, the gifts that build the body up? I told you I'd tell you what I did with this thing right here. Did you notice how shiny this baby is? This is new. Uh, I never used, this is not the one I, I got, by the way. I had to go buy another one. I never used it, and I lost it. And when I was thinking about this story this week, I'm like, where did that buffer go? And then I thought, I'm like the guy in Matthew chapter 25. He took the gift away and gave it to somebody else. But I had to go buy one so I could use my gift of teaching to spur you on to use your gift of Hospitality, care, mercy, leadership, healing, tongues. I don't know what your gift is. And I hope you don't treat your gift like I treated the buffer. Because then we're all getting ripped off. Here's what's going to happen today. We don't ever want you just to be hearers of the word. This is an easy message just to hear it and walk away and go, I don't even know what my gift is. I guess he's trying to guilt me into doing something. in the. They always need people in the nursery. Guess what? We're doing VBS this summer. If you don't know your gift, I do. Pastor Brad's somewhere. He's like, amen, keep going, preach. Here's the, that's right. Here's what you need. You need the gift of willingness. You go sign out in the lobby, and uh, July 8th, you'll be up here at the campus, and we'll tell you what to do, all right? It'll be good. But here's what we're going to do as a church. We're going to send you an email this week, today, actually, if we have your email address. If we don't have your email address, take the little cards in the back of the seat, write legibly, did you hear that part? Legibly, your email address, drop it in the offering box when you leave. we got some people to fill this out. We're going to send you a gift from us to you. It costs money to do. It's a spiritual gifts assessment test. Take the test. But here's the problem. You can't just take the test and be done. Like, now I know. The problem in the, in the church here is they're elevating gifts and they're isolating themselves and you need community with that. So we're going to have somebody that's going to follow up with you about that about what your gifts are, and we're going to talk to you about opportunities to use those gifts in the church. And you can check things if you're interested in things in the church. And if you don't have a spiritual gift and you don't want to use the gift in some way, we'd love to talk with you about a relationship with Jesus. But if you're a follower of Jesus, how are you using the gift? Does it declare Jesus as Lord? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to open 
your word together as a church family. And I pray you'd open our hearts to whatever it is you want to do. And I, and I know I mentioned to some in this room, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I tell you how you could have one. Well, it goes back to that verse, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. And so what does that look like for you? To surrender your life, acknowledging that you, you can't be in control. See, we all sin. We fall short of the glory of God. We mess it up. So we need somebody else to be in control and acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord, as Master, surrendering your life to him because you believe that he died on the cross for your sins. And because he rose from the dead, he's able to give you life. And if you want to receive that life, then you can do that today by asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior. We're going to have some people that are going to come up to the sides of the room. I see some people have already gone to the back of the room. If you just see some people standing by the aisles or standing up here by the stage and you want to trust Jesus as your Savior, go to those people. Some of you here might have other needs. It might have nothing to do with what we're talking about today. And you might not even want to tell anyone. Maybe it's confidential. You're not allowed to tell anyone. But there's something going on in your life, and we're supposed to carry each other's burdens as a church. Go to one of these folks. They would love to pray for you and to pray with you. And you can say, I can't tell you. I just need you to pray. And some of you might need healing, and we read about healing. Some of you might need different things. You've got discernment. You, you want somebody with the gift of wisdom to speak truth in your life. Come to one of these people. They'll be here to pray with you. What's going to happen is we're going to sing a song and a couple songs here and just worship God together. Thank you for joining our sermons online. We hope to see you in person soon. Our location and service times can be found at our website, sfchurch.com. If God has stirred your heart today and you'd like someone to pray with, or if you'd like more information about Jesus, please take a moment and email us at info at sfchurch.com. Thank you again. God bless.